becomes like a fleeting memory. Whatever you grab just turns to dust. Like eye contact with a stranger straight around the corner. It's a dream that you to make real. Passing those of the songs. Seems appropriate for the change of the season. Yeah. Slowing down a little bit, mm-hmm. getting a little bit more serious. <laughs> uh-huh. Hey, babe. <laughs> what you got going on? A little fire at home. <laughs> you and me, a pizza. <laughs> is that how you're romantic? Yeah. <laughs> uh, obviously, I don't I do the romantic to, thing very well. Yeah. So. <laughs> uh, this is true. All right. All right. Here we are. Welcome. Cheers. To the shores. <coughs> All right. Woo. No more Alzheimer's. I think it was dementia. Dementia. Oh, yeah. yeah. Dementia. I was going to... So we have to explain what we're talking okay. about. <laughs> um. Yeah, there was a, an article that talked about a correlation between drinking alcohol and a reduction in dementia, all-cause dementia. However, I did not read the article. I just saw the title of the article, and I sent it to you, and I was like, we're good. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you don't have to read the actual articles. Just read No, the, just the titles. Yeah, yeah. That tells you everything you need to know. It's all in the title. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, shoot. I think we were talking about Chicken Little tonight. Yeah. Old Chicken Little. This, this one's your idea, so you're going oh, to have to kick us off. <clears throat> Man. So, I guess maybe the, way, the best way to start this, though, is that uh, we're just going to kind of like machine gun some stuff out there, and I'll, I'll throw some... I've got some other podcasts and different things that we both listen to that are kind of talking about a little bit more in depth and with a little bit more... Uh, uh, what do you call it? Certitude, actual authority, authority. Yes. There you go. (laughs) Maybe more authority in these areas than we do. So I think just tonight we're just, these are things that we're thinking about and we've been talking about for a while now, just personally outside of the podcast. I think some of it's kind of made it on here too, but just some things that we're kind of concerned of. And I think Matt and I are generally optimist and even, even in seeing these things, we see that, you know, what is the opportunity that is in this? Because, uh, I think it can be kind of daunting sometimes when you go down this 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 line of reasoning and thinking. It can be kind of overwhelming. Hmm. Um, yeah, I've felt kind of overwhelmed by... Well, I was talking to a friend last week in, at work. He came into my office and he's like, how you doing? And I said, honestly, I feel like I'm on the brink of an existential crisis. <laughs> and that's just kind of how everything feels right now. Like... Everywhere you look, there's something wild going on. Mm. And the sum of all that, it feels like we're at some sort of tipping point. Mm. And so I think the plan is we're going to kind of talk through some of the things we see and see if we can make, I don't know. I don't know if we'll make any sense of it, Mm -hmm. but it's good to talk about things. Good to talk about things. That's why we do this. (laughs) And it's also about time frames too. It's like, you know, is it six months? Is it a year and a half, two years from now? It's like how all these things were like till the end of the world, till the end of the world, (laughs) (laughs) you know, how all these things play out. But at some point these things have to be resolved and you can only put so many band-aids on issues Mm -hmm. before the band-aids don't cover the bleeding anymore. You know, you actually need to go in and get stitches or Mm -hmm. surgery or something like that. I fear that this is going to be a very doom and gloom (laughs) kind of episode. It is, but I think I want to end with, uh, with, 
just what are the what are the possibilities because there's a lot of things that we're facing you know again uh you know there's a book called the fourth turning um mm-hmm. and basically it's this 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 um ebb and flow of sort of um you know roaring 20s to depression type of situations that we kind of cyclically go through yeah that is sort of healthy and it's it's similar to the idea of you know fall winter spring and summer is like you kind of have a time where everything grows and then you know as it comes into the fall everything starts to start to kind of die in winter everything dies can you do you feel like you can do a summary of the concept of the fourth turning because i think that's actually really applicable and there's a lot of hope embedded in that yeah it's it's really hard i mean i'm again just as you guys have listened to this we've we're not experts in these things and uh but the the idea behind the fourth turning is that there's two great two big things that happen in each turn in each um full cycle which is one is an awakening and one is a reckoning and uh, so basically what you have is you'll have this moment where, you know, you're kind of building up to this sort of, uh, again, these are generalizations. Like you can always point to like things that are going wrong in any of these, you know, turnings and stuff like that. But generally speaking, you kind of hit this time where everyone sort of is hopeful and, you know, nothing can go wrong. And you have this big realization as a, as a culture that sort of leads into the sort of like flir- like time of flourishing, you mm-hmm. know? And as that time of flourishing kind of continues on, uh, some rot kind of starts getting into the system. And as that rot gets into the system, there starts to become like distressed and you're starting to see the flaws in the system a little bit more. And people start to distrust, um, specifically institutions and then at some point it kind of culminates into this sort of reckoning period, which is the fourth turning. Uh, the second turning is the sort of the awakening, the, the, the euphoric part. And then once you kind of turn, move into this fourth turning after this sort of distrust starts to kind of take hold is you have a lot of, uh, internal fighting and, um, social unrest, um, you know, uh, uh, distrust in the institution. And there's sort of this time where a lot of those things break down. And during that time, it's kind of where a lot of things die off and we really start to, um, kind of kill some of our institutions that should have died all a long time ago. And as you go through that time, then you start rebuilding things in a new way and kind of improving on it. And it revitalizes. And it revitalizes <clears throat> yeah. and then leads into another awakening. Right. So in, in, the guy who wrote the fourth, the two guys who wrote the fourth turning, um, basically the, they wrote it in 1997 during the third turning. And if you read it, it's like, it's kind of scary how, how, <laughs> how well they pinpointed kind of where we are, what's going on, uh, in, in heading into the fourth turning that we're in right now. Well, they looked at like 500 years of history mm-hmm. and identified this pattern. Yeah. So specifically uh, in the West too. Yeah. And my understanding is that I think I heard an interview with one of the authors. It was Neil Howe, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, he was talking about how they didn't actually set out to find this pattern mm-hmm. or to write this book. They were trying to like, he is known for uh, like he named the generation millennials. He coined that term. Mm-hmm. He studied 
uh, generational differences. And they were going, uh, setting about to write a book about generational differences. And they identified this pattern over the course of like 500 years, mm. something like every 80 years, this cycle repeats mm -hmm. something like 80 to 90 years. There's a word for that length of time that he uses. Do you remember? I don't. Okay. Um, and it also reminds me of the, what's that phrase? Uh, strong men create good times. Mm -hmm. Good times create weak men. Weak mm -hmm. men create hard times and hard times create strong men. Mm -hmm. The cycle repeats. Yeah. Which feels like, or even generational wealth, where mm, the mm -hmm. they you build the wealth and then they understand the wealth, and then at, at the, by the third and fourth generation, the wealth is dissipated. Gone. Yeah. yeah, just like the seasons, like you said, things come in cycles, mm -hmm. and we it, it does. You know, when we you and I first got turned on to this concept, it felt a little scary to think about going into the fourth turning because mm -hmm. it the fourth one is 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 um, characterized as crisis, mm -hmm. but you know look at the last several years, we've clearly been in crisis. Hmm. And I think what we want to talk about tonight is like, we're looking around and it seems like everywhere you look, there's a looming crisis. Hmm. So, you know, I think it's better to be, well, better to look at it than to not look at it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, some people have, like, I hear this kind of often some, people, friends will say like, you know, I'm taking a break from listening to the news or, you know, politics or whatever. It's just, it's upsetting <laughs> me and I, mm -hmm. I'm in a bad mood. And I think, yeah, I totally get that. Um, but I think we should look at it. We should know what's coming our way and we should know how it resolves. Like how do we move out of it and what's coming afterward? Because there's something coming afterward with, which is worth hoping for. Mm. And if we're poised about it, we can make something really great out of it hmm. and, ta and take advantage of what there is to be, uh, what is to be taken advantage of Yeah, for good. I mean, so, I don't mean that in a greedy <clears throat> way. Um, I mean that in a, or an opportunistic way necessarily. I, I mean that in a generative way. Yeah. Like I want good things for my kids and my kids' kids. And so we should manage our way through this. Um, so maybe you could just, you wrote kind of a long list of all the things you're seeing. Maybe we could do an overview. Okay. Yeah. I'll try to, uh, just kind of bullet point in some of these things and then we can jump into some that are more, uh, pertinent or that we want to get into. But, you know, so right now, uh, we're seeing a, a European energy crisis. Um, mm -hmm. we, you know, just I think two weeks ago, the Nordstrom pipeline got, Sabotage Nord Stream, Nord Stream, yeah, Nord Stream, <laughs> Nord Stream. <laughs> Heard of Nord Stream rack, right? <laughs> Nord Stream pipeline. <laughs> they sell good clothes there. It's very classy. They, they lit the place on fire. <laughs> it's a tragedy. <laughs> well, and that's kind of a crazy thing um, that apparently it was blown up, mm -hmm. and we don't really know who did that. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of rumblings about who might have done it. Did yeah, Russia US, do it? Russia, did the US do it? Yeah. yeah. Well, either way, someone's trying to force some position and what mm. that position is, isn't exactly clear, but it does seem like there are a lot of lives on the line mm -hmm. when it comes to moving into winter, which a lot of, I find that a lot of people have never heard this stat, but you know, in the day of the popular climate change narrative, people talk a lot about people dying from heat deaths. Mm. But the, the cold kills 10 times as many people as the heat. Mm -hmm. And there's sort of a, a interesting 
well, outcome of that. It's like if you're if you're talking about climate change, you could ask, you know, if the planet gets warmer and that means less people die, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Mm. And that's kind of a conundrum. But we're moving into winter in Europe. They are already in an energy crisis because mm. of a lot of the green policies they implemented. And now with the war between Russia and UK or Ukraine, um, they rely on Russia for their energy mm-hmm. and Russia's cutting it off. So they won't be able to heat their homes or um, that's going to be a very difficult and likely very deadly winter. Yeah. So, so with the energy crisis, you have this other thing, which is the, we've kind of been experiencing in the U S also too, but we're going to specifically just kind of focus on, Europe right now is the qualitative tightening. So it's like interest rates, like they're trying to sway people from taking risks and speculate and sort of kind of everyone to draw back and not spend, uh, spend money or, or, um, what do you call it? You know, start businesses and that kind of stuff, loans and stuff. So. And is that specifically to quell inflation? Mm-hmm. And that, that's tied to inflation specifically. But you have all these things that are kind of in contrast to that is like, well, they're going to do subsidies for, or the talk is right now, subsidies for energy. So that's two different things. One is if you do subsidies, you're actually adding to the problem of inflation. So it's like you have two things, two contrary things going on, qualitative tightening, which is, and then qualitative easing, which is doing the subsidies, giving people money and or our breaks on that, on those, uh, um, uh, uh, on their energy bills and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Uh, so, so that's kind of really confusing the markets. Uh, then you have like in the UK right now, uh, you know, there's this crazy thing that happened last week that I'm, I've just been learning about right now. So I'll probably get some of it wrong, but basically there's these things called gilts, which is bonds. Uh, we would call bonds and, uh, they're probably the safest thing that you can get into. And so a lot of these pension funds had, um, <laughs> had these, uh, uh, gilts in them. And, you know, as, as you, uh, as UK is trying to do the qualitative tightening also, uh, it started to put pressure on these gilts and people started selling them on the market. And I think the, and then the UK started, I think they purchased like $22 million worth of the 6 billion that were, uh, up for purchase. And so it sort of, basically making the whole guilt market go into a spiral. And, and the trouble with it is, is that these guilt markets, because it's such safe money that they're leveraged, you know, two to three times. And so there's a lot of leverage in the system that's starting to, you know, if you, if, if your interest rates are going up, then you have to like be able to have money to, um, uh, uh, you know, pay the difference of whatever that interest rate went up to. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it's putting a lot of pressure on the system and, uh, these pension funds are, you know, close to like sort of insolvent and, and, uh, which that's people's future. That's pe- yeah. It's their like li- retirement, livelihood. Yeah. yeah. Government, you know, it's like work for a company or whatever. So that's something that's going on in, in the UK right now. And we've seen over the last couple of weeks and more, but, um, but with this, the guilt thing happening, you know, I think the do- the pound is, was down to like 94 cents to the dollar. And that's, it's, it's almost never been that low. I think there was one other time it was either in nineties or seventies or something like that, that it got down pretty low, but not, um, 
<clears throat> not this low in a long time. So, yeah. I mean, every, all of my lifetime, I could always just remember like, Oh, it's a dollar fifty for a pound. You know, it's like when I went to the UK, you know, and then in the late nineties or whatever, yeah. it's, it's kind of a pain in the butt, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, and I mean, and there's just, just unrest in the, in the UK in general too. But also like I, I heard a guy talk about, I think it's Pierce Morgan. Um, but even within all this stuff with the queen dying, that there was this sort of like unification that everyone kind of remembered that they're all British. And it was sort of like a moment where mm-hmm. they almost kind of put down a lot of that unrest that they have, you know, within, you know, uh, society or political or whatever differences. And you saw that everybody kind of, uh, kind of come together and, you know, a 13 mile queue and everyone does it civilly, you know, yeah. <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. Um, <clears throat> But still, the, you have that going on. Um, you know, in the U.S., we're facing the same things with inflation. Uh, Paul Paul uh, Powell is is you know really sticking to the narrative that he's going to keep raising basis points up to like like four point two percent interest rate and beyond. But four point two by the end of the year, you which know? doesn't even to me seem nearly high enough. Mm-hmm. No, I mean in the '80s they raised it to twenty percent. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the whole thing is like they're in the Fed is as much admitted to it is that they should have started this earlier, but they didn't. And so they're actually trying to make up, make up for lost time here. Right. And yeah. when the downstream effects of all of this is inflation is going to make you poorer. Mm-hmm. If you are poorer, you are much less equipped to deal with a crisis like an energy crisis. Mm-hmm. And so there's going to be a lot more human suffering. And the quantitative tightening is going to slow the economy, which is also going to make people poorer. That's going to be difficult. A lot of businesses will go out of business. Yeah, I mean, especially that, small businesses. Well, to that point, it's like I got a call from my banker two weeks ago, and was and they told me it's like, hey, uh, your interest rate on your loan is going to be going up, right? And you know, and about I won't see that for another three months. Like it'll it'll take effect of January first. So mm-hmm. a lot of these things haven't even really entered our economy yet. Right, right. And that's because it's like, you know, it's different between fixed. And that's another problem with uh, the UK too, is like, you know, here in the US, there's a lot more fixed mortgages uh, where the, your rate is fixed. Uh, in the UK, uh, I think, uh, I'll just throw out a figure here, but it's like 60% are not fixed uh, mortgages. And those that are fixed are only two to five years. Hmm. So it's like, and so those those that are coming up are going to be, you know, set to this new rate. And so we're not even going to see the effects of some of this interest rate hikes until, you know, six months to another year. Well, what's crazy is that <clears throat> when the interest rate goes from like one to 2%, that doesn't seem like very much, mm-hmm. but that actually will double your mortgage payment. Yeah. Which is nuts. Yeah. <laughs> it has a drastic effect. Mm-hmm. Especially, you know, when you're looking at amortized interest over 30 years, like that's the effect of it. Mm-hmm. So you're going to pay double for that house. Yeah. Which leads us to the housing market. Mm, yeah. Which, um, so I'll, I'll just start by saying, remember, you know, I guess like this time last year, mm. houses were going on the market and they were selling for cash within hours. Like you couldn't buy a house because unless you were just lucky enough to be at the right place at the right time. Mm-hmm. I was talking to a neighbor today who told me that the house across the street from her has been on the market for four months and they've already lowered the price by 200,000 and it hasn't sold. 
So there's a big change. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just one example, but you're hearing about it. Like supply is going up and the rates are going up. So people are having a hard time, harder time buying. Mm-hmm. And then you were talking about how um, as baby boomers start mm-hmm. dying off and our population starts declining because we're under replacement rate right now, that's only going to further increase the supply, which mm-hmm. is going to further drive down the price. Yeah. Right. And you might think, well, that's a really good thing. I don't think that it is though. I mean, it's not, it's equally not a good thing that for housing prices to be unaffordable, but mm-hmm. if the housing market collapses like it did in 2008, that was clearly a bad thing. Yeah. Well, it's interesting cause it is kind of a good thing, but it's the reason why it's a bad thing is more of, it was more something that we created that, you know, housing prices have gone up as, as fast and as far as they have. Um, but you know, it's like, again, I think there's a lot of things that are kind of in need of correction right now. And in, in the housing market part, that's, that's a, that's something that, you know, again, something that someone, you know, you, you kind of want to boohoo this, but you know, a lot of, you know, very wealthy people will also be selling their second or third homes because it's like, mm-hmm. you know, Oh, as interest rates go up mm-hmm. and the economy slows down. Yeah. So more houses on the market. <clears throat> mm-hmm. So, I mean, we're not even talking about what's happening in China right now with all the, well, we talked about that, I think a couple of uh, podcasts ago, but that's another, we'll talk about that when we get to all the China stuff, there's a lot of crazy stuff going on over there, but, um, yeah, but I think that's the thing. And, and people can't afford to get the loans to be able to buy the new homes yeah, that are coming on the right. market right now. Or I, I think it's it's probably more like in six months from now, but like uh, that, I think we'll really start seeing the, the effect. I'm talking like I'm a, a specialist. <laughs> I think it's about six months, maybe on March, June. <laughs> um, so that's something that's... Um, but I think that's bad. But the one good thing about within the U S is a lot of mortgages or most mortgages are fixed rates. So you won't, that won't affect us as much as it will with people in the UK that have those variable rates. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So you have Powell interest rates. Uh, you know, again, there's things that sound good too. It's like, we want to like, you know, uh, you know, we're spending, billions of dollars on the Ukraine. We're spending, you know, I don't know. I forgot how many billions of dollars on student loan debt. Uh, 500 like billion, 500 I billion. Think. And, yeah. and there's just, there's a lot of money we're throwing. I don't think that'll here. go through. I don't see how it can. I don't think it's constitutional, yeah. but it sounds really nice, yeah. but it's just not right. There's something that, well, maybe we could talk about the Ukraine thing for a second. Mm. It seems almost impossible to understand what the hell is going on with that. Yeah. Like, why are we spending the money that we're spending? Mm-hmm. Um, and the more I listen to people who I think know what they're talking about, talk about it, it really does seem like there is a proxy war going on mm-hmm. between the West and Russia. Mm-hmm. And that seems a lot scarier to me than Russia simply wanting territory. Mm-hmm. And I'll point you to uh, this thread from Constantin okay. Kissin who's uh, hosts the podcast trigonometry. Is that right? Trigonometry. Mm-hmm. Um, who I, I think he's from Ukraine or Russia. Russia. Yeah. Yeah. One of the two. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so he understands it quite a bit better because he his, has history with it and his family has lived through a lot of the history of those, of those places. And he also worked as a professional translator for like 10 years. And so he wrote this thread on Twitter, um, basically explaining one of Putin's speeches. And it's amazing to read because whatever it is that we think about what's going on in, in Russia and Ukraine, Putin sees something completely different. Putin sees himself in a war with the West in an ideological war with the West, mm. which in hindsight is what happened um, specifically with the, the Cold US. war. Yeah. yeah. Specifically with the U S mm-hmm. like he really does not like us. <laughs> um, thinks we've lost our minds. Mm-hmm. And in some ways I agree with him. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the danger of that ideological clash is the same danger that existed in the cold war, mm. which is that we have nations armed with nuclear weapons. And it seems like with every day that passes, you know, and you hear all these crazy things like, Russian troops are being issued rusty AK 47s that have been in storage since the eighties. And it's like, you know, and they're not doing a particularly great job with Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Like Ukraine <clears throat> seems to be holding its ground pretty well. And I just keep thinking, how's that possible? I agree. That's like, how you know? is Ukraine even doing that? Yeah. It's, is this strategic somehow? Mm-hmm. And at what point does the risk of nuclear war? Well, become terrifying. Mm-hmm. And I, I think for me that was last week. Mm. Um, cause Putin said something about it. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of terrifying. Um, you know, we talked about the energy crisis that's resulting in that in Germany specifically, mm-hmm. but Europe as a whole more broadly. Um, well, this is a shift off the Russia thing, but back to energy OPEC announced, I think yesterday or today that they're going to reduce their output by 2 million barrels a day. Hmm. And this comes what, like four or five months after Joe Biden flew there and met with MSG and asked him to increase production. And they're just like, nah, fuck you. Yeah. We're going to reduce supply to increase the price Mm -hmm. in a time when energy is in crisis. And I, I think people, I mean, I, in me included until somewhat recently, I think it was really until, um, I got introduced to Michael Saylor hmm. and some of his, you know, very long form sort of lecture like podcasts where I started understanding the importance of energy, hmm. um, without energy, people suffer. Mm-hmm. It's energy that enabled us to thrive the way that we did in the last century. And, Without it, we are much more vulnerable to things like natural disasters. We're much more vulnerable to just the weather in general, you know? Um, so energy is being reduced via the war, via OPEC, which is going to increase prices, but that's just the initial sting. It's, it's less painful for wealthier places, mm-hmm. you know, in places where you're already let's say on the brink financially and the price of gasoline goes from like it did, you know, several months ago, it's like goes from $3 to $6 Hmm. that can change your life. 
Well, even in Europe with, you know, the Euro and the, and the, and the pound with their value going down and the U S dollar going up, that actually help that hurts them because for them to import energy, because everything is priced in the dollar is that much more expensive too. So not only do you have the inflation and stuff that happening at home in these places, but you know, now they're their uh their fiat system it it costs a lot more for them to purchase things because mm-hmm. like that's the thing that you have to do is then you have to purchase dollars uh in the euro dollar system in order to to buy the oil and the things that you might need to bring internally to help with things like with the energy crisis too so that's a whole another pressure that is being put on these economies yeah in the eurozone you know, right which is crazy so my mind's wandering a little bit. I'm going to okay. lay a few do more it. things on yeah. the table. Yeah, like, so as I said, I feel like everywhere I look, I see this sort of existential crisis. So like I'm thinking about, okay, here at home, you know, all these things that we've listed. And as you said, we haven't really gotten to China yet mm-hmm. or North Korea and Japan, mm-hmm. um, yeah. China, Taiwan, we kind of touched on Russia, but here at home, things also feel on the brink of crisis. Mm. And it's another Twitter thread that I want to reference, which is from this account called Wokal Distance. Did you see this thing about Lizzo playing James Madison's flute? Mm-mm. Okay. Let's see if I can t- retell the story. I didn't in understand way. any of those words. <laughs> <laughs> you know who James Madison is, though? I don't. No? Uh-uh. Uh, he was uh, a signer of the Declaration. Oh, okay. That James. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> Um, Sorry. I thought it was a pop culture reference. So no. I got well, that. no. So this is the issue. Oh, so okay. Library of Congress has a collection of like thousands of historic instruments. Mm. And apparently James Madison was gifted a flute made out of crystal Whoa. by someone in France. Mm-hmm. And they, Library of Congress has this flute. Mm. So anyway, somebody who works at Library of Congress tweets at Lizzo. Because Lizzo, Lizzo is the um, <laughs> famous celebrity singer rapper she's very overweight Mm -hmm. and that's part of her image and Mm -hmm. that's very celebrated and uh she's also a classically trained flautist she's quite good yeah so anyway library of congress uh somebody who worked there tweeted at her and said we've got you know this amazing flute we've never heard it played why don't you come by and play it Hmm. so these two videos emerge online one is of Lizzo visiting the Library of Congress and playing this flute. And she plays this classical song. It's really impressive. She does a great job. And then the second video, apparently, Library of Congress loaned it out to her and she took it to a concert where she does sort of the pop music thing. Mm -hmm. And she brings this flute on stage and she plays it and she twerks while she's playing it. Hmm. You know what twerking is? Yeah. Okay. I got that much. Um, Daddy, what's twerking? <laughs> and so this video went viral mm-hmm. um, for sort of obvious reasons. Like it's this collision of two things. It's mm-hmm. this um, progressive pop culture, which is representative of a movement that says sort of simultaneously, everything is acceptable. And also anyone who disagrees with me is unacceptable. Mm-hmm. You know, it's this regressive tolerance idea. Yeah. And, um, that's Lizzo. That's what she represents. And then there is tradition. There is a crystal flute 
that was made by an artisan in France, you know, in the 1700s mm-hmm. and gifted to one of the founding fathers that's been in the Library of Congress protected for 200 years. Mm. And these two things collide mm. on a stage. And symbolically, it was a powerful thing to see. Um, and what happened is what happens with everything now. Everyone has a take. Mm. And the takes kind of fell into two categories. One category was, this is amazing. Mm. How amazing that a, a black woman would be playing a founding father's flute hmm. and representing the current time. And they were sort of celebrating this. And then the other side was, this is inappropriate and disrespectful. Hmm. This is not a good thing. And this guy, the Twitter handle, Wokal Distance, I don't know who this guy is, but he pointed out that these two narratives, he was like, everyone saw the same video. Mm-hmm. Everyone saw the exact same thing, and yet they saw two different things. Mm. And the problem is that we don't have shared meaning in this country anymore. Mm. And that makes perfect sense to me because what things mean depends on the values through which you perceive them. And I think that there are two sets of values, at least mm-hmm. two broad sets of values in this country, and they don't overlap anymore. Hmm. And so we see two different things and it doesn't make any sense trying to explain to the person who thinks it's great that it's disrespectful. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't make any sense to the person who uh, thinks it's disrespectful to explain the opposite to the other. And so we're, we're in a real problematic situation mm-hmm. and I was having a conversation about, you know, uh, the 2024 election, because that seems like a fairly important deal. You know, you've kind of got Trump acting like he's going to run again. You have Biden who, um, who knows? Yeah. (laughs) Just add like Trump who is acting like he's going to run again, which is unacceptable to almost everyone, even Republicans. Mm -hmm. And then you've got Biden. (laughs) It's, it's hard to believe that he will still be around by then. Um, so then what you've got Kamala and then who else it's like on the democratic side, no one, you know, and who else on the Republican side, maybe Ron DeSantis. I don't know, but the Democrats are doing their damnedest to make him a devil. And he's a new, he's a new Trump. Yeah. And so I was having this conversation with this friend and they were saying, you know, I just want somebody who can stand up strongly and tell the truth Mm -hmm. and unite us. And I just thought, you're looking at that wrong. I don't think that there is a shared truth. I don't think that there is a possibility for unity on, in the current environment. And so for either side to be successful in 2024, I think it has to be contingent on some kind of manipulation hmm. because the old rule of like, you have roughly half the country who's going to vote one way and roughly half the country that's going to vote another way. And then you've got some swing areas. And so if you're going to campaign for president, you focus on the swing areas and the, the candidate who can do the best in the swing areas wins, right? Mm -hmm. That's not the landscape anymore. It's really not. California and Texas are probably changing hugely this next four years or two years. I think now, each side is framing their side as it is a moral imperative Hmm. that you vote for our side. Yeah. 
And in order for them to sell that, they're going to have to create some crisis Hmm. by which sort of like the COVID thing. It's like, if you don't get vaxxed, you are a threat to humanity and a domestic terrorist. Hmm. Like that's the moral imperative and that's how serious they made it. And I think that's going to have to happen again. Hmm. And if it doesn't happen again, you know, I don't think anybody really trusts that the last election was fair. They didn't trust that the election before that was fair. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> last two elections, you, depending on which side you're on, didn't think yeah, it was fair. Yeah. Right. So mm-hmm. we're in a real problem there mm-hmm. and I don't see a solution. So that's kind of my, uh, my existential crisis <clears throat> concern here at home because with all this other stuff going on. Oh, and just let me add to that. I saw a headline <laughs> today that said that the air force announced today that they're committing to be carbon neutral by 20, 40 or something the the air force the the people who fly the jets and shoot the missiles you know and win the wars those jets are not carbon neutral well you know put a little tesla engine there and it'll well it's like do you want do you want to be able to win a war or not Mm -hmm. you know and if you don't okay but that scares the crap out of me yeah i mean we're already looking weak to everyone else. I mean, I don't think that Putin would have invaded Ukraine if we didn't already look weak. Yeah. Uh And I don't think that China would be taking the position they're taking Mm -hmm. with Taiwan if we didn't already look weak. Mm -hmm. And now we're announcing that we're going to weaken ourselves even more. And okay, this is all concerning. Mm -hmm. You know, where does it go? I don't want to be, like I said at the beginning, like doom and gloom about it, but I can't imagine that with the direction that we're heading, we're going to be well prepared. I can't imagine that we will be well prepared for an actual crisis. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean COVID. Yeah. I mean war. Yeah. You know, and I think. Or at least another cold war or or something that's like that pending doom is sitting there for a long period of time. Yeah. Do we want to keep going talking about things that are scary? <laughs> well, I think so. I got more. We, we just, I think just keep laying them out. Cause I mean, I think there's a lot of like, I think as you start to kind of lay these out, I mean, there's a, there's a certain pessimism you can maybe take or even an optimism because, you know, it's not that these things were like, we don't have control over what has happened or what has gotten us to this point. You know, maybe we had different decisions we could have made individually up to this point, but at some point you have to like, okay, well in the future I'm going to make different decisions and I'm going to look to a different outcome and acknowledge the past and maybe where us as individuals have messed up and maybe our leaders have messed up. But so I think that's, that's kind of what we're doing right now. Cause this isn't something that just happened overnight and we found ourselves in this place. That's like, Oh, look at us. We're in this really bad place. It's like, it's like, no, these are decisions that have been made you know, 10, 20, 30 years ago that have compounded, you know, there's a lot of things where, you know, one guy I was listening to just talking about in 2008, you know, you know, we should have let some companies fall. Like there's a certain part that you need to allow things to sort of like, um, uh, die off in order for other things to kind of come back up. And we've kind of perpetuated a lot of things. And one, one major pinpoint is that 2008 crisis we kind of allowed a lot of things to kind of 
keep them alive. And, you know, there's one stat that says like there's 20% of companies in the United States and actually might be more, but that are zombie companies, which is basically companies that are not making money Mm -hmm. and they're just being propped up. And, you know, we're kind of continuing allowing these things to happen, but at some point there has to be a correction and allow these things to, to sort of die off. I want to pause on that for a second because that's actually pretty important. Mm -hmm. Like when you talk about companies being propped up, I mean, we did that during COVID. Mm -hmm. We took our money. I was propped up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We took our money and we propped up a bunch of companies Mm -hmm. like, and that was a good thing. Yes. Mm -hmm. But to remind everyone that we took companies who were losing money and we collectively with our tax money mm-hmm. gave them the money they were losing plus more mm-hmm. so that they wouldn't go out of business. And that was a big, it was a big bet. Mm-hmm. And the bet is mm-hmm. you'll come back and start making money and strengthen the economy and make better decisions in the future and not right. put yourself in the same position that you were in prior but, to this. But it is like the forest analogy. Mm if you don't allow a certain amount of fire to clean out the dead wood, eventually the thing becomes a tinderbox mm. and you won't be able to stop the fire mm-hmm. and the destruction will be catastrophic. So, you know, how do you learn to make better decisions? Well, you have to face the consequences of your bad ones. Mm-hmm. Otherwise you don't learn and we all pay for it. We pay to prop up those things. I think the hard thing too is, is it's really the middle and lower ca- classes that, that suffer the most in all these things, in the natural course of things. I mean, honestly, it's like, <clears throat> right. Well, because they're the most vulnerable to suffering. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so I think that's, what's hard. And that's where politicians come in and they, they promise people these things, you know, that, you know, even moving forward, you know, as far as like, you know, propping up these businesses and helping people during the pandemic, it's like, I think there's a really good case that yes, we had to do it, <clears throat> but there's a limit to that because you can't keep doing that because at some point you're going to have to, cause like you like, it's like a kid, you know, it's like you give them a hundred dollars and you say, Hey, spend this wisely. And they go buy candy and you're like, okay, no, you know, you, you should spend this wisely, like invest in your future. <laughs> you know, like, what's the kid going to do? Go buy more candy. You know, it's like, until at some point they learn that, you know, Hey, actually, if I'm going to move into the future, I need to make good investments. I I, I speak like this as a business owner. It's like when I first started in business, it's like I had to learn a lot of things the hard way because I was the kid in the candy store, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's like, Oh yeah, we can, we can buy this new thing that makes espresso do this thing. And this oh, is awesome. <laughs> we can totally import that machine from yeah. Europe. Yeah. Our customers so, are going to love it. Uh-huh. You know, there's a lot of like naive optimism that I had. And then, you know, you, Oh yeah, we'll pay everyone like $30 an hour. We'll do insurance. We'll do all these things. And it's like, Oh, okay. No, it's like, if I don't have the money to do that, I can't do that. Right. And that's something that's, uh, um, that's just a, a reality that you have to, you have to experience the pain from in order to learn. Because if you don't experience the pain, I mean, it's like a rich kid that always has everything they want. Like they don't learn responsibility. Very few do without actually experiencing the pain. You know, it's like, I mean, you see it in, you know, Thor, <laughs> you know, he gets tossed out, you know, he, he has to kind of learn to be kind mm-hmm. of almost a, uh, uh, a human. To- that first Thor movie is my favorite Avengers movie mm-hmm. or not Avengers Marvel. Yeah. That, Marvel. that story is so powerful to mm-hmm. me. Like you're going to have to lose 
everything. Hmm. Lose your power until you understand it. And you can't understand it without experiencing the loss of it. Well, so many stories, I mean, you think fables and stories and myths tell us that, but Mm -hmm. we like to think like, no, I'm different or we're different. Like if you give me everything that I need, I will do the right things and make the right decisions because then I won't have to worry about money. Therefore, then I can actually worry about doing the right thing. Time, time and our history and our, our storytelling tells us differently. Yeah. What, what makes you think we're different now? We're not, you know? <laughs> well, so, okay. So add another thing to the table. Mm-hmm. Um, that point, we think that we know what the right thing is. Hmm. The only thing keeping us from doing the right thing is injustice. Mm-hmm. And there's two things that I want to add to that or, or say about that one is Solzhenitsyn's point that the line between good and evil is drawn straight down the heart of every man. Hmm. Evil is not something imposed on you. Hmm. I mean, it can be, but where does it originate? It's in your heart Hmm. and you need to understand that. Yeah. This arrogant position that I think we are in, in culture right now, which is that we think we know what the right thing is. And if the bad people would just get out of the way, then we could usher in the utopia hmm. that we know how to do. Yeah. And that's so misguided. And there's a really excellent conversation between Brett Weinstein and Steven Patterson. The mm. title of it is, uh, are we living in a dark age? Yeah. And I was stunned by the title, but then after I listened to their conversation and they made the point that, well, we are living in a dark age and now I can't unsee it. And I think it's primarily characterized by the fact that we are doing insane things insane. And when I say we, I mean the culture Mm -hmm. society saying insane things that can't possibly be true. And yet we're saying them with the authority and the, the uh, veracity and certainty that I just think, well, it's like the, the, what would this be? Um, Pride comes before a fall. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. So just a quick list of examples. Like I think about in COVID, a lot of people, you know, it came from the mouth of like Fauci and Biden and a lot of the, um, people on that side of the narrative, not one person should die. Hmm. If one person <clears throat> dies, that's too many. Yeah. And I think what an asinine thing to say. Yeah. Like it isn't not compassionate to say, yeah, some people are going to die. Mm-hmm. You can't prevent death. No one can. And how arrogant of you to, one thing that you can and two demand that we all do what you say in order to make that thing happen. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing that we say a lot now is it's settled science. Mm. It's like, no science isn't settled by its very nature. Yeah. So who are we to think we know what the hell we're talking about? It's like, yeah, we do know a lot of things, but the arrogance to say the answers are a given. Mm-hmm. And we know that they're true. This is the arrogance. This is the pride. This is the characterization of a dark age. Yeah. 
everything's settled. So therefore we're going to live within this narrative of the things that are settled and don't go outside the narrative because it's not. And, and if you disagree, mm-hmm. then you are the threat. Yeah. I mean, you saw this the is church the, and do that. Yeah. Totally. The mm-hmm. church did this in the grand inquisition. Mm-hmm. It's like this happened in the Salem witch trials. Mm-hmm. This, you know, communism with Stalin and Lenin yeah, and, yeah, this goes very bad places. Mm-hmm. If we're not careful. I mean, it, there, it just reminds me of, well, what is it that causes you to thrive and succeed? You should know things. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like you can't be an idiot. You can't be stupid. <laughs> yeah. But you also have to be humble. You need humility. Yeah. And this is at least part of, I think the undergirding set of values that prop up the West in general, or at least did mm-hmm. these Judeo Christian values. <clears throat> Like, yeah, we're good. Mm -hmm. You know, we know what we're talking about, but also we need to be humble. We need to admit our need for redemption. And if you don't have those in collaboration, if you only have the side that says we know what we're talking about, you are about to get smacked by reality. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, and I think, well, you can see that in COVID itself. You know, at the beginning of it, it was a very popular narrative to say that we were absolutely botching COVID. Mm-hmm. And then once Trump got out of office, it was like, we're absolutely kit, like doing great. <laughs> and, and nothing changed. Mm-hmm. Literally nothing changed. Yeah. Well, we had the vaccine. Except the mouthpiece. <laughs> but that happened before Biden got in That's office. True. You know? That's so true. So it's like, yeah. yeah. The arrogance that we have is causing us to not even speak clearly about what's obvious. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, we seem to be at war with what's obvious because what's obvious is disagreeing with us. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that's, that's dark age. It reminds me of the story of the man who, well, basically discovered germ theory before germ theory was discovered. Mm. And this is like, I don't remember the year, but before germ theory was discovered, there was this doctor who was noticing basically the high mortality rate of women giving childbirth and was trying to figure it out. Like the theories back then had to do with like, you know, demons more than anything else. (laughs) And, and so he started just doing a set of experiments and finally like, finally just stumbled upon the idea of having the people attending to the birth wash their hands before the birth Hmm. and the mortality rate dropped. And he started telling people about this and they said he was superstitious and mad. Mm -hmm. He ended up dying in an insane asylum because reality disagreed with what people thought they knew. Mm -hmm. They didn't accept reality. That sort of arrogance kills people. Yeah. And that's the sort of arrogance I see around us all over the place. Well, I think there's a, there's also that certain arrogance happening right now too. It's like, we're like for the last six months and with the fed not making that pivot to qualitative tightening and raising interest rates was, you know, inflation is transitory, which basically means it's, it's here for a little bit, but it's going to go away. You know, it's like, or it's just supply side. You know, supply did have a, uh, a factor in this, but you know, at some point you have to kind of deal with the reality. And if you don't, then you're going to get behind on what is actually happening. And I think that's something that 
I think our, especially our mainstream media is not doing a very good job of is telling us and helping us and keeping us informed what the narrative is. Mm-hmm. And like, cause it, again, <clears throat> it would require on their end to not be political and not to be, um, have an agenda that's outside of telling the truth as right. close as possible. Well, that, which is more of like, it's more of like a, an aim to be close to it rather than, because again, it's like to tell the truth is very difficult because most of the time we don't even know the truth <laughs> of like about ourselves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're always aiming to the closest possible uh, acclimation or approximation. approximation of what that is. And that's kind of what our news media should be doing is trying to uh, get close to whatever that, what is the truth of the situation. Uh, but we've just gone through so much name pointing and name calling and stuff like that. That's just not helpful for. So this goes back to my comment about how <clears throat> the politi- the landscape of elections has changed so much. Mm. It's like you say, you want someone to not be political and just tell the truth. Mm. And I think, well, that's the problem. No one sees anything through truth, through the lens of truth. They see everything through the lens of politics. Mm. And politics is inherently corrupt and inherently manipulative, inherently narrative based. Hmm. And like, I just want to say narrative is incredibly powerful. It's needed. It creates incredible things. You shouldn't discard the narrative, but you should hold the narrative loosely enough to allow it to be molded by reality or at least co-molded by reality. But I think somebody who tells the truth and doesn't play politics has no chance of getting anyone's attention. Oh, very interesting. So like, that's a big problem. Mm-hmm. If we don't have mechanisms for telling the truth in our society, we are going to spin off in, in dangerous directions. And you saying that it kind of seems like our political leaders, because I mean, that's kind of, I don't, maybe this is oversimplification, but they are the masters are of, of spinning a narrative. And so if our, if our political leaders are interested in the truth and our well being, then I would imagine as a political leader, I would look to those people who are informing us what is happening and to be able to, channel that narrative in a way that people can understand and, um, and kind of work with and get on board with, you know, I think that's, I think that, I think that is kind of what our political leaders do or should do anyways, is to craft and create the narrative to to point us in the right direction. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of self-interest and greed and that kind of gets in the way of them doing their job, which is crafting that narrative, you know? and helping us move into the future in a way that is, uh, powerful and helpful, you know? (laughs) So, Hmm. yeah, you need people to spearhead the narrative, Mm -hmm. but you also need mechanisms with which to correct Mm. that person. Yeah. I mean, this is the whole idea of checks and balances. Mm. This is the free press, the legislature Mm -hmm. and the, uh, Supreme court Mm -hmm. or the court system. This is, uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, politics and the free press. Mm -hmm. And I think 
both of those things have been captured. Hmm. I mean, I really mourned, you know, whatever you think about abortion and whatever you think about Roe versus Wade, I don't care. I think it's a, a valid debate. Mm-hmm. I think it's a nearly impossible debate. Yeah. Um, but when I heard people say that the Supreme Court shouldn't have ruled the way that they did because that's not what the public wanted, I think you don't understand the purpose of the Supreme Court. The entire purpose of the Supreme Court and the way that it's set up is to be insulated from public opinion hmm. because you don't get to the truth by listening to public opinion. Mob rule results in injustice 100% of the time. Yeah. And the thing that made this country great is that we figured out miraculously how to protect ourselves from that. And now the popular culture is attacking that the institutions for being exactly the thing that we needed to be who we are today. Mm-hmm. And what's the result of that? If we're going to eat ourselves alive, if we're going to tear down the thing that made us, this is the death of God. Hmm. And what did Nietzsche say? We've killed him and we will never find enough water to wash away all the blood. Hmm. You're screwed. That terrifies me. I mean, it, it, and it reminds me too of what happened during the Derek Chauvin trial. Hmm. You know, when Nancy Pelosi thanked Derek Cho- or George Floyd for dying, when, when she was uh, giving an address after the results of that trial and they convicted Derek Chauvin and she said, thank you, George Floyd for dying so that we could bring justice. And I think, Oh wow, hmm. we've completely lost it. You're thanking a victim for dying so that we could prosecute a white man for racism. That is not what the court is about. Hmm. And if we've lost value for that, then God help us. Yeah. Well, you said you wanted to end with some hope. <laughs> oh yeah. Cause we need to kind of so, put these away. Yeah. Um, so just to kind of round this out too, um, you know, we didn't even step into Russia and China and Taiwan um, not to mention, you know, what's going on in Latin America. Uh, there's just a lot of, um, a lot of things with our currencies and inflation. That's really, uh, uh, we don't have time to get into right now, but there's a thing called the dollar milkshake effect. I think that's what you call it. Um, which is super fascinating. Okay. Uh, I'll send you some stuff on that. It's really interesting. But, um, so so there's a lot of markers out there and we kind of got, we kind of hit on quite a few of them tonight that kind of tell us or show us that there's a lot of kind of like unrest and, and upheaval and stuff like that. But, but the thing with the times of the fourth and uh, the fourth turning and the crisis situation is, and, and again, this is, this is just a generalization number, which uh, back in 1997, when they wrote this book that they said that we'd be coming out of this, crisis and, and forth turning and 2025 and 2020 and 2030. Hmm. And I think it's really hard for us to think long-term. Like we, we mostly want, we mostly think of today, maybe tomorrow and maybe a month from now. But I think the key during these times, and I think what is taught teaches people that live in these times is to think 
long term. You know, when everything is good, you don't you stop thinking like when it, you know when you come into these awakening moments and the second turning, and it's like everything is so good. You don't have to think about the future. You think about the present and like how good it is and how comfortable you are. So whenever people coming out of the, these fourth turnings that we're in right now, and that I want to encourage you guys with, and also us, because I think this is, this is super important is that we need to start thinking more long-term, like not, mm. not how can I position myself for today or tomorrow, but how can I position myself for five years from now, from 10 years from now, especially, you know, you know, you and I have kids, so it's not just about us, but how can we also position our kids for success and happiness into the future? Mm-hmm. So I think that, again, when you look at these things, this can seem a little insensitive, but again, you know, looking at your position and well, we'll we'll start on on an economic place, you know, it's like one is, you know, (laughs) it seems so insensitive to talk about this, but there's just some like really practical wisdom in this is when things are the worst, that's when there's the most opportunity. You know, uh, you see this in the stock market when things are at the highest, you know, and greed's like set in and people are just buying all this stuff. It's like, that's when you need to be conservative. Mm -hmm. And whenever people are afraid and selling everything, that's when you need to be buying Mm -hmm. because most people sell at the high and buy and, and, uh, are buy at the high and sell at the low. And that's just a general, that, that a general, thing that happens for all of us, you know, it's like, um, so right now, as we're looking at this, we're coming into a low. So there's a lot of opportunity for leaders to, to kind of rise up out of these times. You find out who really has the, the, the stuff that makes a leader, you yeah. know, because a lot of the, the lies and the, um, posturing that people do are, will be sort of revealed. Well, it's interesting. It's like, <clears throat> How does a great leader emerge? Mm. Well, there has to be a need for a great leader. Yeah. Something Neil Howell says about the fourth turning is it is a period of crisis. And yet that in the fourth turning, that's when the new institutions are built. Mm. That's when all of the good things that we rely on in society the seeds are planted because skepticism is at the, at its highest. And so right. people are really critical and only those who have the, it's like a diamond in a coal under pressure, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, it's like, this is the pressure time. So if you're feeling pressure right now, instead of thinking of it as a negative, thinking of it as a positive. Right. I mean, I feel very encouraged and hopeful about mm. that. I mean, I, I feel scared in some sense about the turmoil that we possibly have ahead of us. You know, I don't know where it's going to come from. Like, we, we've laid out a fairly terrifying lands, landscape here tonight. And those are mostly macro factors, not necessarily micro factors. Totally, yeah. yeah. And yet, out of that is going to emerge something new and something mm-hmm. beautiful. And the hope that I feel is we have the opportunity to be a part of that new beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. We have the opportunity to actually set some of it in motion because we desire goodness and beauty and prosperity 
And so we can, during this time, establish something which will serve the next generation, hmm. establish something that will serve us and our children and their children. And so I feel very excited to look for those opportunities. Mm-hmm. And I'm also glad to be thinking about these things and looking at these things now because, well, we might be wrong about a lot of things, Mm -hmm. but if we can have some size and shape idea of what's coming, then we can be prepared to the best of our ability to create something good out of it. And I would rather create something good than be for lack of a better term, a victim of the times. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's a good, that's a good place to end it. Hmm. Okay. I think so. Do, do we need to? No, I think so too. I, I feel like we kind of, um, opened a big can tonight. Oh, we did. Definitely. So, well, I think that's, I think that's also part of, you know, why you guys listen to us. It's like, we're, we're just like you. And so we're trying to pick apart these things that we're seeing. And, you know, as Matt and I've talked a lot over the last, you know, specifically two or three months on some of these things, but the last two or three years or more on, on a lot of these things, it's like, there's just some things that are unsettling and we don't know what to make of it. Yeah. And I feel unsettled, mm-hmm. but I think that's also then, but with something we've also looked at and talked about a lot is that that's kind of the best place to be because then you're mm. open to new things. Yeah. And you know, it's like when you're settled and when you're comfortable, you're not open to new things. And right now, uh, is a time to sort of like wake up to that unsettling and, uh, be aware of those new things, opportunities, ways that you can invest in your local community um, that can kind of like, or even for your kids or, you know, if you're young and in your twenties, you know, this is a time that could be really revolutionary for you specifically because you have so much strength and, and, and youth to kind of put into something that could have like a, a powerful impact in the coming years that, you know, I don't think like generation X, like our generation, um, kind of got passed over with the, with the boomers, you know, but I think those Gen Zers right now that are coming into their twenties are, have some, some of the greatest opportunities uh, ahead of them. Yeah. So I'm excited about the, the 20 year olds. I think they got some, some dry powder to give. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> All right. Well, let's stay hopeful. Mm-hmm. Let's stay excited. I, I'm, I'm going to, something you said reminded me of something I was writing the other night. All right. So I'll end with this. Trouble in my belly, a fire in my soul. Is this the way it should be? Would you want it any other way? This is the only way to change. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks for coming out to the shores, guys. Love you all. Love you all. Thanks.